The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. And we will be continuing with our plan that I stated yesterday to jump from topic to topic for the next uh, couple weeks at least. And today's reading is from Seneca's letter number 11, which in the Tim Ferriss edition is entitled On the Blush of Modesty. And we are actually going to read the majority of the letter this time. Your friend and I have had a conversation. He is a man of ability. His very first words showed what spirit and understanding he possesses and what progress he has already made. He gave me a foretaste and he will not fail to answer thereto. For he spoke not from forethought, but was suddenly caught off his guard. When he tried to collect himself, he could scarcely banish that hue of modesty, which is a good sign in a young man. The blush that spread over his face seemed so to rise from the depths. And I feel sure that his habit of blushing will stay with him after he has strengthened his character, stripped off all his faults and become very wise. For by no wisdom can natural weakness of the body be removed. That which is implanted and inborn can be toned down by training, but not overcome. The steadiest speaker, when before the public, often breaks into a perspiration, as if he had wearied or overheated himself. Some tremble in the knee when they rise to speak. I know of some whose teeth chatter, whose tongues falter, whose lips quiver. Training and experience can never shake off this habit. Nature exerts her own power, and through such a weakness makes her presence known even to the strongest. I know that the blush, too, is a habit of this sort, spreading suddenly over the faces of the most dignified men. It is indeed more prevalent in youth because of the warmer blood and the sensitive countenance. Nevertheless, both seasoned men and aged men are affected by it. Some are more dangerous when they redden as if they were letting all their sense of shame escape. Sulla, when the blood mantled his cheeks, was in his fiercest mood. Pompey had the most sensitive cast of countenance. He always blushed in the presence of a gathering, and especially at a public assembly. Fabianus also, I remember, reddened when he appeared as a witness before the Senate, and his embarrassment became him to a, remarka- to a remarkable de- degree. Such a habit is not due to mental weakness, but to the novelty of a situation. An inexperienced person is not necessarily confused, but is usually affected because he slips into this habit by the natural tendency of the body. Just as certain men are full-blooded, so others are of a quick and mobile blood that rushes to the face at once. As I remarked, wisdom can never remove this habit, for if she could rub out all our faults, she would be mistress of the universe. Whatever is assigned to us by the terms of our birth and the blend in our constitutions will stick with us, no matter how hard or how long the soul may have tried to master itself, and we cannot forbid these feelings any more than we can summon them. Actors in the theater who imitate the emotions, who portray fear and nervousness, who depict sorrow, imitate bashfulness by banging their heads, sorry, not banging their heads, by hanging their heads, lowering their voices, and keeping their eyes fixed and rooted upon the ground. They cannot, however, muster a blush, for the blush cannot be prevented or acquired. Wisdom will not assure us of a remedy or give us help against it. It comes or goes unbidden and is a law unto itself. Okay, so uh, the thing that caught my eye about this letter, I guess... Mm, two or three things caught my eye. Let's see how, what the number turns out. The first thing was the uh, the fact that he takes this one example of the fact that people can't control their blushes, and then he universalizes it into this principle, which he stated in the last second to the last paragraph, that uh, whatever is assigned to us 
by the terms of our birth and the blend in our constitutions will stick with us no matter how hard or how long the soul may have tried to master itself. And we cannot forbid these feelings any more than we can summon them. So he's he's saying basically that this, this uh, tendency to blush by people who have it is something that is just how your body reacts and there's no, there's no way you can control it and no way you can overcome it. So uh, I, I found it interesting that he makes it into a universal because I do think that there is a category like that. But the question is, does blushing or do any of these, 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 I guess, stage fright symptoms, do they automatically fall into this category? And is it really true that wisdom can't overcome it? And that's what led me to the second thing. And this is really why I decided to make the podcast uh, episode about this letter is I taught public speaking for eight years, seven years, nine years. I can't remember. And uh, I've given a lot of speeches in public. Now, I don't have stage fright in the vast majority of cases. I usually get uh, an adrenaline rush when I'm speaking in, in public. And in fact, speaking in public for me is a lot easier than speaking in certain other social scenarios like making small talk at uh you know the uh, at a smorg at a wedding or something like that like that i get way more uncomfortable about than speaking in public and obviously again i'm i'm, I'm a teacher so you know it's uh, if, I, if i had trouble speaking in public it would be it would be very hard but so uh but forget me for a second i've i've taught many quote unquote generations of students in their public speaking and this is a problem that a lot of them have they either have stage fright or they blush or they have these nervous reactions and apparently one of the most useful techniques, uh, something that I have not used a lot because I haven't needed to, but I've, I've, students have used it and have reported its success, is reframing the bodily symptoms in a positive way. So if you think about it, the, the symptoms you experience when you are nervous are an increased heart rate and, uh, you know, maybe some other bodily things like, like, uh, like tapping your foot. And again, maybe some heat to the face, uh, and, and your breathing, rapid breathing. So these, these same symptoms of nervousness and fright are also the symptoms of excitement. And I think they've actually, I, I didn't, uh, I don't remember where I read this, but I know that they did, uh, they did certain, um, studies or experiments that, uh, I think it was, they had, uh, a, a series of people dating, you know, going on a blind date with someone who they didn't know. And, uh, and in one group, they, it was just a normal date. And the other group is they had them do it. Uh, they had them date on like a very, very tall bridge, uh, or a very high up bridge where they would have this fear reaction of, uh, of, of heights and something, I, again, I don't remember the specifics, but, but the upshot of the experiment was that the people who dated on the bridge ended up falling in love or, or, or dating the person who they were with for uh, a significantly longer time. And the, the interpretation of the experimenter was the fact that, that the body was going through symptoms of fear of heights, but because it, these occurred in the context of, of a date, they were perceived as excitement and romantic flutters and the mind reframed them. And that's really the, the advice that's given to people who are afraid of speaking is if you can train yourself to take those symptoms and then reframe them as I'm excited rather than I'm nervous, then that could actually help you to get over your, your nervousness. And, and it sounds like you're, it sounds kind of like a placebo and, and you're tricking yourself, but it really is. I mean, that's what you're doing, but if it works, it works. And presumably if a person did this for, for long enough, 
then their feelings would actually be reprogrammed as excitement and they would not have that fear. So this technique of dealing with public speaking actually is a technique of stoicism. Uh, Epictetus writes about this in the first chapter of the Enchiridion of the handbook. In one five, he says, uh, when he's talking about impressions, which again, the Greek for the impression is uh, fantasia, which is obviously related to our word fantasy. So he says, straight away then, train yourself to say to every unpleasant impression, you are an impression and by no means what you appear to be. Then examine it and test it by the rules that you have. First in this way, especially by asking whether it concerns things that are in our power or things that are not in our power. And if it concerns something not in our power, have ready to hand the answer, this is nothing to me. So that's step number one is recognizing something as an impression. We talked about this in my Black Cat episode, uh, which I'll try to link in the show notes. But uh First thing is to identify it as an impression. Second step is to real is to ask yourself, is this something that's in my control or not? And then in the discourses, in Epictetus' discourses in chapter two, paragraph 18, I guess subsection 24 and 25, he writes, uh, uh, he writes one more technique. In the first place, do not allow yourself to be carried away by the intensity of your impression, but say, impression, wait for me a little. Let me see what you are and what you represent. Let me test you. Then afterwards, do not allow it to draw you on by picturing what may come next, for if you do, it will lead to wherever it pleases. But rather, you should introduce some fair and noble impression to replace it and banish this base and sordid one. So that's very similar to the technique I just specified about public speaking, is that you have this impression when you get up to speak in public and you're, you're nervous, First of all, first step is to recognize this is an, an impression, meaning that my nervousness does not necessarily correspond to any actual reality. I, I fear something bad's going to happen. The thing that I fear is not actually real, uh, and it's being generated in from within as opposed to from without. The next step is to realize that uh, it's it pertains to things that are beyond my control. So let's say, for example, people won't like what I say, or people will laugh at me. These are things that ultimately, at the end of the day, you can't control. So relinquishing control over these things, feeling as though getting rid of that feeling of, oh, I should be able to control this, but because, because really you can't. And then the third step is to replace that base impression with a noble one. And that's what I was suggesting that instead of saying, I am nervous, framing it as I'm excited. And again, it sounds, it sounds cheap. It's a cheap trick, but it is a cheap trick and it's a cheap trick that works. And what I'm wondering here is, you know, in Seneca's letter that we just read, he kind of just resigns himself to the fact that there's no way you can control the blushing. And yeah, maybe, you know, if you're Irish and very white, then you blush easier than someone who is uh, Asian or someone who's black. Uh, and, and that aspect of it, you can't control. And there is a physiological reality there, but there's so much you can do to, to reframe the, the experience by, by, by consciously, uh, adopting new uh, impressions or or, or or reframing your impressions. And that can have an effect on the way that your body reacts to these scenarios. So I guess at the end of the day, I find it interesting that Seneca identifies this category of things that wisdom cannot change and are going to be with you no matter what. And the only thing you can do is like diminish them. And I agree that there is such a category, but I think that there's a lot you can do within stoicism to to change those. And, and again, I mean, we, we've... Uh, we, I guess I haven't really talked about uh, Judaism's perspective yet, but I mean, this is all of, uh, of Mishle. I mean, they're, they're, Mishle is about everyday decision-making, and there's one level of Mishle where you are consciously changing the decision that you make. Instead of making the decision that the, that the Chacham, or that the fool makes, you make a decision that the Chacham would make, that the wise person makes. So th that's definitely one level, but 
another thing that you're trying to do with Mishlei is you are reprogramming your your emotions through the day-to-day practice of consciously reframing, reframing your decisions. And there are, are a lot of uh, psukim in Mishlei, especially in the introductory chapters, about how if you uh, if you internalize the ideas of Mishlei and of Torah, then there will be these automatic effects. So let's say, for example, in chapter 3, uh, in Pasuk uh, da, 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 21, I'm just going to read it in English here. My child, this is from the art scroll, do not let them stray from your eyes, meaning do not let the teachings of Mishlei slash Torah stray from your eyes. Safeguard the eternal Torah and, and its wise design. They will be life to your soul and a graceful ornament for your, de- for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not fear. You will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant. You will not fear sudden terror nor the holocaust of the wicked when it comes. For Hashem will be your security and he will guard your feet from entrapment. Now, um, again, that's there's a lot to process there. But my uh, my understanding of it in regards to this is that there are... There are beneficial effects of making mishlaically wise decisions, and that's like one level where Mishlei is uh, one one of Mishlei's goals. But then the second level is if you continually practice these decision making moves and and review these ideas, your actual emotions will change, and they'll do so automatically. And things that you would have normally been had a reaction to that you felt like is outside of your control. Will will come under the sway of the chachma of Mishlei and uh, and and will change. So interesting uh, food for thought here, just in terms of the categories. I guess if we had to sum it up, we would say that there's the category of uncontrollable blushing, the category of controllable blushing, and then everything else. <laughs> things that that you you know, in other words, things that are completely not in your control. It's just how your body reacts. Then there are things that that are a bodily reaction that you can reprogram. And then there are things that are fully within your control. And uh, I think that, that Seneca kind of put all the emphasis on, on number one, but, but didn't give enough uh, of a nod to the other two categories. Okay. Sorry that was a little bit longer than usual, but uh, you know, we, we didn't have an episode on, on uh, Purim. So, you know, got to, got to use up my time that Buzzsprout allows uh, a lot to me every month. That is it for today's episode. That was a total rationalization, by the way. I don't know. I just went over time. (laughs) That's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today and would like to support my production of even more Torah content, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. And today is March 1st, so the the, uh, Patreon uh, charges uh, by the month. And uh, if if you've been listening and gaining from what you've uh, heard, then this would be a good time to to join in. Uh, I got to start, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? uh, animals hibernate uh, and prepare for their hibernation by storing up before the winter arrives. I gotta, I gotta start storing up before the summer arrives because uh, as of now, um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gainfully employed through, uh, through, uh, through June. But then we'll, we'll see what happens in the summer. You know, I, I, I would like to be able to continue to teach and make content during the summer uh, when, when the, uh, the, the, when, when, when the, the job uncertainty comes back. So. We'll see what happens. Okay, anyway, thank you again uh, to my listeners for listening, and thank you to my patrons for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.